Amen. Well, I want to add my uh, my voice to the Happy Father's Day, um, you know, chorus here this morning. Except we're going to do it in a different way than that video that opened up. I want to apologize for that video. I don't think our quality control was quite up to par on that video. Uh, but Greg and Kevin, thank you so much. That was great. Uh, it really was great to have that. Um, well, dads, speaking to dads and speaking of dads, dads have a tremendous um, opportunity and platform and responsibility, I think. If you've been a dad or if you've had a dad, you will know that dads have the front row seat to all kinds of change that is happening in the life of a kid. That dads have the chance to see when a kid goes to, you know, takes their first steps when they maybe say their first words or when they go to youth sports camp or just kind of when they develop and keep growing all the way up to when they get their first date, maybe when they get their first car, maybe when they graduate, maybe when they get married. And dads have the chance to see so much change in the life of kids. It's just the way it is. And what dads see in kids is something that um, they may or may not be able to verbalize, but I would put it this way, that dads will see in kids that whether kids realize it or not, kids understand that when they're looking at their life and when they're faced with a change, they understand that there's a direct relationship between their future impact and their current willingness to change. That kids know when they finally look at it, they realize, you know, if I'm on my youth soccer team and I can't even get off the bench and, and junior over there is scoring all the goals, like I can't just wake up tomorrow and be the one to score all the goals. Something has to change if I want my future impact to be different. And so the relationship between change and personal growth and future impact is something that dads get to witness firsthand. And sometimes, sometimes dads know if you want to have a future impact, something has to change in your schedule, right? Like you can't play video games as much if you want to be an awesome athlete, right? Like you can't do this if you want that. There has to be a future change if you want greater future impact. That's just the way it has to work. So to put it this way, I guess I'll put it this way, that what confronts us, what kids realize and what all of us realize is that what confronts us is change, but what hangs in the balance is impact. That w kids will see that like what's right in front of me is I don't really want to change. Like I frankly don't want to get up earlier. I don't want to get up any later. I don't want to change this habit. I don't think I can change and we can react to, we can, we're confronted with the possibility of changing something about us and we can react to that as if why would I ever want to do that? But what actually hangs in the balance is future impact. Dads see that all the time. And in fact, I would say the church sees that all the time. In fact, as I was thinking about this series, this series was born out of a season at Grace Point where we um, shut everything down pretty quickly. And it was, it, it, <laughs> I, I apologize for the use of words that we're tired of. I'm going to use the word unprecedented. Don't throw anything at me. Um, but we, we all of a sudden as a church, we shut absolutely everything down quickly. It's amazing. And it was in the first couple of weeks when COVID hit that I began to think about what really is happening at the church. Like, how will the church continue to function? We, we shut down our in-person gatherings. I mean, think about this for a minute. We shut down in-person gatherings. We shut down kids ministry in person. Student ministry in person stopped. All missions trips are canceled. Am I missing anything else? I mean, we like pretty much any in-person stuff that we do in, in GPC was shut down immediately. And if, if there were to be a pastor who would do that, you know what would happen? <laughs> they wouldn't last very long as a pastor outside of a pandemic. I mean, that's like career suicide. You can't make those kind of changes in an organization and expect to survive. It's just not possible. It's ridiculous. But here's what I realized as I was sitting there thinking about this as we were a couple of weeks into having everything shut down. I thought, you know, no one around GPC has actually died yet from our changes. Like as much as any one of those changes could have resulted in people like pushing back on each one of those, like, wait, 
if we didn't have a pandemic, imagine if I would have said, hey, guys, I have an idea. How about from, you know, March until June, we just don't come together, you know, in, in person gatherings. Can you imagine that actually flying? Can you imagine us saying, let's just cancel kids ministry for a long time? Like it, it just it just wouldn't work. That any one of those changes would have resulted in kind of a pushback. But the truth is, we actually were going through that and we were fine because we had a bigger vision. We had a bigger purpose. As I thought about that, I'm like, you know, there's something to learn here. There's something to learn here about how we handle change and how we personally engage in times like this. And so it was a kind of a radical, massive change. And I thought, you know, I don't think, I don't think that I want to rush through here too quickly without stopping to listen and learn about the kinds of changes that we can engage in. And so as I was beginning to think about GPC, I, had a, I took a step back and was thinking, you know, um, in the, the first message in this series, I've talked about a couple of priorities that I was learning. First, I was learning that um, the church is more important than church is, and I admitted to you that I was going to be okay if some churches in our community died as long as Grace Point kept going, and how selfish and wrong that actually felt. And I thought, you know, it is better, I need to get my focus on the universal church and not just churches. Last week, I talked about this, that service is more important than service is. That it's more important in terms of the mission of the church that we are people of service rather than that we just focus on that we have services and talked about that last week this week I want to talk about this idea as I was processing all the changes that we were going through and it's simply this that change is more important than changes and here's what I mean by that change is more important than changes what I mean by that is change change is this idea that fundamentally as a Christian as a Christian it is in the fundamental nature of being Christian to anticipate change that change in the, is a fundamental nature, even how you have become a Christian. That behold, the old is gone, the new has come. That your fundamental character as a Christian is built on massive, massive change. You're heading one way, and now you're heading another. Because of the mercy and grace of God, you are changed. That is the fundamental nature of Christianity is built on this this reconciliation with God. We were not near him and now we are. A massive, massive change that fundamentally at the heart of being Christian is embracing change, not just change one time in the past history, but embracing change that leads to constant change. It is the constant renewing that the idea of I'm a Christian, therefore I engage and embrace change is more important than change is. By change is, what I mean are all the small little changes that can distract us and get us to fight about all the wrong things. You know, we had some people come to GPC or investigate GPC, and we've had people look at GPC for all kinds of funny reasons. In fact, one person said, hey, can you tell us what time your service is? Because I want to make sure it's not too late, because I want to make sure that I get in line at the restaurant right away so that I can make sure I'm back home for kickoff for Sunday football, right? I've had someone come to me, actually, believe it or not, at a funeral. And as I was standing in this room just over there at the end of a funeral, they came up to me and they said, hey, Tim, um, I have something I want to tell you. I'm like, okay, great. And I thought it was a very poignant, important moment. And they kind of pulled me and I leaned into them because it was, it was a kind of a sadder moment. And they said, you know, I just want you to know, sometimes I don't like the shirts you wear. I thought, 
Well, this is great. I mean, this is exactly what the church is for, right? I mean, this is like these kind of small trivial things. This is why Jesus came to the planet so that we can all make sure services are at the right time and we all wear the right clothes so that no one gets offended. That as Christians, listen, change is more important than change is. All these little trivial things, including what time of service is, including whether we have student ministry the way you're used to it or not, including whether we have kids ministry the way you're used to it or not, including whether we have mission trips the way you're used to it or not, including when we meet or how we meet, all of those are changes. But change is more important than change is. That all those little kind of sub-level things have the great opportunity to distract us. And what I saw at Grace Point is that all of those little things did not blow up the ship, right? All of those little things were cut immediately. And no one was calling us, yelling at us. No one was calling saying, we think we're going to leave the church. This is terrible. Why are you doing that? Why? Because for a moment, our vision was lifted up past the things that we can fall in love with. It was bigger. And I think that was incredibly valuable, and I don't want us to lose it. That change is more important than change is. I want to, I want to focus this a little bit more, focus this a little bit more, because change is such a big category. Uh, years ago, Al Mohler wrote an article called Theological, Theological Triage. And in there, he kind of gave us some ways to think about change or ways to think about measuring what's most important. And he talked about different levels of change. This is not my language, but I'm going to use these three levels to try to focus us this morning. Mohler talked about level one um, changes in churches. Level one um, theological differences are theological differences that distinguish religions. For example, if I were to say at Grace Point, we are no longer going to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He alone is the Savior of the world. If I were to come to you and say, I want to change that and say, we're going to move into believing um, Buddhism or let's accept Islam for the same value system theologically as Christianity, I think there should be some pushback against that. that that Islam, Buddhism, Christianity have separate belief systems. And level one changes, if you will, distinguish religions, and rightly so. Let me be clear, I'm not talking personally about loving those who are Buddhist or loving those who are, who are Muslim. We want to love our neighbor regardless of religion, right? But theological differences is what I'm talking about. Level one distinguishes religions. Level two distinguishes churches. Some people um, can't go to this church or that church because the differences are too strong for them. For example, some churches are, you know, uh, will be congregationally led, others will be elder led. Some believe in infant baptism, some don't. And some people are like, this thing is so important that I just need to go to another church that resonates with me. But level three are really things that distinguish people, people within the church, people who come together and say, this church here is what I'm a part of. I am focusing this morning on level three. I'm focusing on level three changes, that these little changes, these little um, programmatic changes, these things like what kind of shirt I wear or when we meet exactly, this is what I'm talking about, level three. Not massive theological changes, not massive um, organizational or doctrinal changes like that, but I'm talking about the small changes that sometimes we can really get hung up on um, as a church. And I think during this season, we have seen that change and the fundamental nature of change as a Christian is more important than change is. Now, with all that being said, I want to go back to this that I began with, that what confronts us and what confronts you is change, but what actually hangs in the balance is impact. When I don't like change, my reaction is, I don't know if I want to change that and I can react to that, but what hangs in the balance in the future is the possibility of greater impact personally and corporately. 
Now, we're not the only ones to deal with this. In fact, I'm going to take you to a story in Acts chapter 10. You're welcome to turn there if you want, but I'm really just going to tell you the story uh, because there was a disciple of Jesus named Peter. And when Peter uh, walked the planet, he, um, he had the opportunity incredible opportunity to set the pace for what it meant to be Christian and how Christians were to engage with Gentiles, with, with new believers in Jesus. And his situation was so interesting. So in Acts chapter 10, there's a story that's told. And in this story, there's a guy named Cornelius. And Cornelius was a, what was called a centurion. And he oversaw a, a group of 100 soldiers in the Italian regiment. And so there's this, this man who has incredible military power and might, and he's wise. And, and uh, as Luke, who's writing Acts, writing this book, tells us that Cornelius ends up being a God-fearing uh, leader. He's someone who prays with his family regularly. He's someone who engages in faith. And he's praying to God. And what happens is um, he has a dream. And in this dream, there are men that need to be sent over to where Peter is. And so the, Cornelius gets this dream. And the dream is basically to him saying, listen, I want you to go. I want you to send some guys over to find Simon, who's, by the way, his name is Peter. Don't ask me why. That's just the way it is. I want you to go get him. And I want you to bring him back. And so Cornelius sends a few people, and these little contingent of men go over to find Peter. And as they're walking there, then the next day around noon, the scene shifts to Peter. And Peter's in this home, and in this home now, he's starting to get hungry. Now, I don't know what you do when you get hungry. Peter does something I don't typically do. Peter, when he's hungry, around noontime, he goes up to the rooftop to pray. Now, I don't often pray when I'm hungry. I'll just go eat when I'm hungry, but I guess he's getting food ready or someone's getting food ready. And so he goes to pray and then he falls into a trance. And in his trance, he dreams about food. That's right. He dreams about food. And so here's Peter on the roof. He's dreaming about food. And it's as if this sheet is being dropped down from heaven. And on this sheet, he begins to see all kinds of food. He begins to see um, cattle, birds, uh, four um, four-legged animals, hooved animals, and all this. He begins to see all this food. And as he's seeing that, I think that he's starting to feel a little guilty that he's even dreaming about eating food that as a Jew, he's not allowed to eat. And then he gets this, um, this word in this dream, and here's what is said to Peter. Get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter's reaction, just intrinsically, even in this trance, evidently, is like... Um, Surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Like, you've got to be kidding me. You're putting before me, like, okay, I know what's going on. This is a temptation of the devil. Jesus went through a temptation in the desert. Maybe this is my temptation. You know, I'm really hungry. I'm going into this trance, and there's a lot of good food there. You want me to get up, kill, and eat? He says, no, surely not. I'm not going to do this. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. And then it happens a second time. Get up, Peter, kill, and eat. To which he's, and, and I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do this. It happens a third time. Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not. Like, I don't do that. You're asking me to do something that I don't do. Fundamentally, I've been raised this way. Our grandparents have been raised this way. Our entire Jewish tradition has been shaped this way. I don't do this. You're asking me to change something fundamentally that I cannot change. It's deep within my conscience. I don't do this. To do this would be disobedient to God himself. I can't do this. And then God says to him in this dream, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Like, don't call that which I've made clean impure. Don't do that. And then he wakes up. And as he wakes up, then at the same time, these men from uh, Joppa were, you know, sent from um, uh, Cornelius, come and arrive at Peter's house. 
And as they arrive there, they kind of knock on the door and they want to see Peter. And Peter goes and engages with them for the rest of the afternoon and evening. And he learns that there's this man, this Cornelius guy who would like to see him. Well, Peter engages these people for a little while and, and you know, has an evening meal with them. And the next day ends up going uh, to Joppa. And when he gets to Joppa with Cornelius and his family, he walks into the house. He goes into this home two days later when they finally get there. He walks into the home. And as he crosses, you can imagine, he kind of crosses the threshold of the home. And for you and me, that might not be a big deal. But for Peter, all of a sudden, he's crossing the threshold of something that he has never done before. He's absolutely never done before because it wasn't right to do before. It was such a massive shift. And here's what he said as he steps into that home and is addressing Cornelius and all the people who are gathered in the neighborhood to hear him and his entire household. He says, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. You are aware that it is against the law. I am now doing something that I am fundamentally have been opposed to, but now I recognize that, but God has stopped me and shown me that I should do. And so he's standing there talking to these people. And if you know the story, you know that the people who are in the room, they just soak it in. Like they just hear it. They, they process it. What Peter says was he's explaining who Jesus is as a Messiah. It just goes on and on and these people are soaking it in and processing what's happening and they're listening and they're learning and at the end of it they are peter asked the question and what's to keep these people from being baptized like why don't we just baptize them all the entire household the neighborhood that entire community there who was in that hearing is converted to and then baptized into the faith of christianity and what's beyond that what's more important than that is that beyond that, Peter becomes friends with Paul. Peter becomes, Paul becomes the greatest missionary that the Christian world has ever known. And Peter and Paul form this dynamic duo, and Paul especially is kind of the tip of the spear on that. And just a couple chapters later in Acts chapter 15, there's something called the Jerusalem Council. And the Jerusalem Council is a meeting of church leaders in which they sit down and say, guys, we think there's something going on in the Gentile world where people who were outside of faith in Christ are coming, but they're not doing the Jewish practices like we're, we're used to doing. What should we do with this? And the decision of the Jerusalem Council ultimately is we should not make it difficult for people who are coming to faith. We should not make it difficult for people. We shouldn't make it difficult. And they appeal to moments like this, where Peter, a, a historic Jew, steps across the threshold and into someone's home and says, I'm here. It used to be against the law, but not anymore, but God, but God has changed me. And what Peter was confronted with, what, it was confront, what he was confronted with is change. But what hung in the balance is future impact. What hung in the balance, truthfully, is the fact that you and I, if you are a Gentile of Gentile origin, of which I am, that you and I can have access to the grace of God and to the family of God unfettered. So what Peter was confronted with was the pain of change, but what actually hung in the balance was future impact. It's just the way that it works. Now, Peter's friend, Paul, he explains it this way, and I love the way he puts it. He puts it this way in Romans chapter 12 as he talks about this idea of change. He says it this way. He says, therefore, I urge you, in light of this, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. 
He's saying, I urge you, like Paul is writing, in light of who we are as believers, I want to urge you and encourage you. And he uses that word urge rather than the command. He's not saying, I command you. He's saying, I urge. You know when you use the word urge? Use the word urge when you know that you have free will and you may not want to do this, but I'm going to honor your free will, but I want to give you enough motivation to want to do this on your own. I'm not going to demand it. I'm going to want to compel you to, but it has to be your call. But I urge you, please make the decision on your own to come this way, because that's the only way it will work. He's saying, I urge you, brothers and sisters. And then he says, in view of God's mercy, like instead of just in view of the changes in front of you or the pain that's in front of you, in view of what you've been saved from, in view of your past, in view of the incredible transition from death to life that you've experienced, in view of God's mercy, I want you to take your body and crawl up on the altar all the time. I want you to take your body and offer it as a living sacrifice. I want you to be willing to die daily to what you might prefer to make your life be holy and pleasing to God, which is your true and proper worship, which is what Christ has done for us. What does that mean? Where does that go? He goes on in verse two. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is the idea that the Christian faith and Christians especially are by nature people of change. We are by nature people of change, that the constant renewing of your mind is a part of what it means to be Christian, that when Christians are stuck in our ways, we are stuck counter to what it means to be Christian. That There's a value system that says you are people, Christian, you are a person of change. You have been changed. Don't get stuck in all the little changes. Keep in mind that change is more important than change is. Don't get stuck on what time we meet. Don't get stuck on when kids ministry is. Don't get stuck on all these lower things. Don't fight the wrong battles. You are people fundamentally of change whose minds need to constantly be renewed and changed and shifted. It is a daily crawl up to that altar to allow yourself to die. It is what Peter experienced when he said, I can't do it three times. I can't do it. I can't do it. And what we're confronted with is change. We don't want to change. But what hangs in the balance isn't our willingness to change. What hangs in the balance is future impact and future impact of the mission and ministry of the gospel. That's what hangs in the balance. So Paul goes on to write, even in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. This is who we are. This is who we are if you call yourself a Christian. All right. So with that as background, let me come back and say this, that change, I'm convinced, change is more important than change is. And to put it this way, the more positive a view you have, the more positive a view you have of potential changes, the greater the potential for personal growth and the deeper the potential for your future impact. The more positive view you have of change, the more you stand to grow and the greater your impact stands to be. Let me ask you a question this way. Let me put it this way. If you were to consider a change that you've just encountered or one that you're trying to process, um, you know, related to the church or even let's say in business, but let's say particularly related to church or your faith, because you all have gone through so much change. You really have. What change have you seen recently that if you were to look at it from a positive side, it might actually impact your own growth and your future impact? What change, if you were to look at it from a positive side, might actually improve your growth and your future potential impact? For example, um, we got an email this week from someone who's leading um, and participating in one of our online groups. And they said, you know, I would prefer not to be a part of these groups. Like I never would have thought that being a part of online groups would be something that I would enjoy. But as I stopped to think about it, 
I've had the chance to have more in-depth conversation with people, even online, than I ever had had on a real Sunday morning. Like on a Sunday morning, I have a chance to talk to people for a few minutes, but here I have a chance to talk to a smaller group in more intentional conversation, and it has been rich. Here we go. It's a change. You're confronted with it. What am I going to do? Opportunity for growth, greater impact. You know, we had someone else who are in our home groups right now, and they're saying the same thing, that, you know, we're excited to be a part of this home group because we never had the chance to have this kind of level of conversation during our regular Sunday morning gatherings. It's a change that was foisted on us. You didn't ask for it. I didn't ask for it, but it was put on you. It was put on you, and we're confronted with change. But what hangs in the balance isn't just change. What hangs in the balance is future impact and influence of the gospel. So I want to encourage you with two more things quick. Number one, work hard not to escalate. I want to encourage you to work hard not to escalate. Uh, If there are indeed three levels, and you can make as many levels of change as you want to, but I want to encourage you to work hard not to escalate. Don't take something that's a level three issue and make it a level two issue. Don't take something that's level two and make it level one. I want to encourage you to work hard not to escalate. And here's a sign for me when I'm escalating. A sign for me, a key sign for me, is when I stop believing the best about you. When I stop believing the best about you, I'm like, oh, they want to make that change. It must be because they work for the government. They want to make that change. It must be because they don't care about us at all. And I assign motivation and negative motivation to your, your change. When I, when I say, oh, they must be acting in fear. They must be inconsiderate. They must whatever. And I start believing the worst, not the best. I'm going to begin escalating from what is really a level three to a level two. And it won't be long until I'm like, I can't even go to church with these people. I don't even know if they're a Christian. I mean, they move the time of our service. You got to be kidding me. It is not hard. And what happens is the step from three to two to one is beginning to stop believing the best about one another. And I want to encourage you guys be in the right fight right now. Okay? Be in the right fight right now. I said it last week. I'm going to say it again this week. Please be in the right fight right now. There are so many things to fight about, so many changes that you're having to deal with. That invokes so much personal pain and grief, and I understand that. But work hard, please. Work hard not to escalate. One of the best ways to do that is to be careful of your motivations and what you see behind that. Be careful what you assign to someone who may be you know, in authority, so to speak. Because what confronts us, is change, but what hangs in the balance is impact. And I want for you, and I think you want for you, I want your future impact to be as great as it can be, even though there's a pain of change that happens. Change is more important than change is. All of that little stuff, you know, what shirts I wear, what time we meet, whether we have one service, two services, or 2,000 services, whether we have adult groups meeting here, meeting there, whether we have kids ministry meeting here or there, student ministry meeting here or there, missions trips, all of that stuff, good conversation and we can disagree and we can have good conversation but come on change that christians must change for future impact is always going to be at the heart of what it means to be christian it is a fundamental part of how christians are wired i want to encourage you what confronts us is change but don't just react to the change don't just get upset about the change because what hangs in the balance, balance of an introduction of change is future impact of the gospel. That was true for Peter, it's true for Paul, it's true for Christians throughout the age, and it's true for you, and it's true for me. And so I want to encourage you, Christian, fight for the right things. Be in the right fight. Change is more important than changes. We've already survived so much at Grace Point Church. We've already survived so much. Don't get in the wrong fight right now. Remember, change is more important than changes. Consider the long-term impact. 
of what could be. All right. With that being said, I'm looking forward to next week. Next week, we're going to wrap up the series with another uh, message. We're going to drop the S on another word. Um, you can pray for wisdom for me on that one because I feel more passionate about that one maybe than any other one that I've done. We're going to talk about how we handle our rights um, in this world that we are in right now. And, uh, and you can pray that I will, will come with love and clarity uh, next week because I have a little bit of fire behind that one. All right. So thank you so much for tuning in and listening here. Will you join me in prayer this morning? Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the time to be together this morning, both here in person and online and in our home groups. We pray that you would continue to grow in us a, um, an embrace of change, even with some pains and difficulties that it will bring. I pray that you would help us to rise above the small little changes that come to see the bigger picture, to see potential impact, to understand that when change introduces itself, it comes off, first of all, as something that will be painful and hard to embrace but ultimately is going to be moving us toward impact. And so I pray that you would help us not to dismiss it too quickly, but like we all have already done so well, to embrace what we can here and dialogue and discuss what's hard, that we can be better people, that we understand that fundamentally Christians must always be in the business of change, because that's how we've even come to faith in the first place. To help us to see that change is more important than change is to keep things in mind and view and proper perspective, not to escalate, not to pick the wrong fights, not to assign blame or you know, um, negative motivations to people, but to believe the best about one another. So I pray that you give us the courage and the wisdom to see well, and to pick the right fights right now, to love well, to serve well for those around us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.